This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to the mother of all talk shows, and it's live from Rochdale. Get used to it. As the voters prepare tomorrow to send a humiliating message to the big two parties, Conservative and Labour, in one of the most significant political by-election contests in many decades. And Joe Biden gets licked in Michigan whilst licking a cone. 104,000 of his hardcore supporters declare that they are now uncommitted as far as Joe Biden is concerned. There's nothing to lick, drink or eat in the Gaza Strip. A parachute drop of vitally needed food and other supplies is dropped into the sea by, amongst other countries, Egypt which has a perfectly serviceable door, gate, that it could have just opened and driven the aid through. What's going on in the Middle East? We'll be talking to some of the most authoritative voices anywhere in the world on that subject. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. It's the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Well, the polls open at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. By 10 o'clock, they close. But within a couple of hours, we should have an indication of the result. According to the bookmakers and according to my political nose, honed over 50 years in active frontline politics, short sword fighting in the cause of justice, I'd say we are going to win. Moreover, that the Labour Party and the Conservative Party, the two big parties of the state, are going to be utterly humiliated at the polls. Of course, there's still the two contenders for power in Britain. But that's because no one with the credibility to win, the expectation that they might win ever stands against them. But that is about to change. There will be many consequences. If I'm elected here in Rochdale tomorrow, one of them will be a knocking of the knees at Westminster amongst the establishment politicians in the ironclad consensus for war on both sides of the parliamentary aisle the uni party, the two cheeks of the same backside. They are going to be clenching those two cheeks rather nervously as I come through those swing doors. But more importantly than that, it will be a spark 
uh, that will set very dry tinder alight all over this region of the northwest of England, through the Midlands, in particular the West Midlands, particularly the city of Birmingham. It will spread in East London from Ilford all the way to Bethnal Green and Bow. It will put Labour on notice that they have lost, maybe forever, the support which generations of voters gave them, whose mothers and fathers always voted Labour, whose grandmothers and grandfathers always voted Labour. Stark has burnt it all. He's blown it. He will never be trusted. There's never a glad, confident morning again for Keir Starmer. Outside of the Guardian reading liberal bubble, Labour is hated. Sure, if it's a choice between Labour and the Conservatives, many, but by no means as many as it used to be, will vote Labour rather than Conservative. But when it is not a straight fight between those two, when there are credible independent candidates, as there are going to be, when there are credible Workers' Party candidates, as there are going to be, then all over the country, they'll look to what happened in Rochdale tomorrow, the 29th of February, a leap year. They'll see it as a great leap forward. We are in the business here in this town, 20 minutes from the metropolis of Manchester, of leading a Rochdale revival in 1844, yeah, 180 years ago, the cooperative movement was born in a tiny lane called Toad Lane. You need to visit it. I hope many people will come and visit me in Rochdale over these next five years that I hope to represent the town. I've been in cooperatives in the favelas in Brazil, in the townships of South Africa, all over the world. There are cooperatives, and it all started here. The people who started it are known as the Rochdale Pioneers, and we intend that this town should forever be associated both with them and the pioneers that returned the working-class people of this country to a path that can lead to their salvation. Labor is done, finished defunct, just like the Liberals were more than a hundred years ago when the working class decided that the Liberals no longer represented their interests and that they needed a party to represent them and their interests, entire and separate from the bourgeois interests that the Liberal Party then tried to straddle. The pioneers will never be forgotten of 1844, the pioneers that will be out in their thousands tomorrow voting for a new direction for working class people in Britain, I hope will never be forgotten either. But we'll tell you more and all about it on Sunday on the show at 7 p.m. UK time. I saw a picture, a video of Joe Biden licking ice cream in an ice creamier, declaring that there's going to be a ceasefire in Gaza on Monday. There he is on your screen. Leave aside the crass 
grotesque idea of a president eating ice cream whilst talking about a ceasefire in a conflict that has already cost the blood and lives of well over 100,000 people in 135 days. Leave that optic aside. He was lying. He was lying to fool the voters in Michigan that some end was in sight for the torture, the crucifixion of the Palestinian people in the Holy Land. It was a lie, a self-serving lie, but it didn't stop 104,000 people not staying at home. Hundreds of thousands more stayed at home, but 104,000 went to the ballot box and wrote their X on the box marked uncommitted. What does it mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that Joe Biden now cannot win the state of Michigan and no Democratic presidential candidate can possibly win a presidential election when they don't win Michigan. Look it up and tell me if I am wrong. The reason is that the people of Michigan's settled will is like the settled will of millions of Americans that this Holocaust, with a small H, but a Holocaust nonetheless that has taken place over these last four months is entirely the responsibility of Joe Biden's ironclad alliance with the killer, the baby killer, Benjamin Netanyahu. Sure, he briefs from time to time that he's angry with Netanyahu, that Netanyahu is an a-hole, that Netanyahu doesn't listen. Joe Biden with one telephone call could have stopped this 100,000 lives ago. He could have stopped it with one call if he told Netanyahu, not another dollar, not another bomb, not another rocket, not another veto in the United Nations Security Council, you'll be boycotted, sanctioned, disinvested, cast into the perdition that apartheid South Africa was cast. Then the thousands, scores of thousands of little children and their mothers who have been slaughtered could have been averted. This is the Joe Biden that claims he's pro-life. This is the Joe Biden that claims he's a practicing Roman Catholic. This is the Joe Biden that claims he's a Christian. Yet he has facilitated a slaughter of the innocents of which Herod himself would be ashamed. I don't know how much longer Joe Biden has this mortal coil I don't know how much longer any of us have on this earth in this life, but I'm willing to bet that Biden will burn in hell, in the hottest fires of hell, for his role in burning all these children, burning all these mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters. I damn him. God damn him. I say, lesser of two evils, you're having a laugh. This man is Satan himself. 
walking around, doddering around, staggering around, losing his way, even on the way to the bathroom in the White House itself. I despise Joe Biden for the same reason that Malcolm X, whose 59th death anniversary we marked just a couple of days ago, when Malcolm described the difference between the wolf and the fox. Let's call the wolf the Republican Party. Let's call the fox the Democratic Party. In the UK, Tory and Labour. When the wolf is coming towards you, you know exactly what's in his mind and what his intentions are. But the fox comes amongst you looking as if it's smiling, but its purpose is exactly the same. That's why I despise Starmer more than little Sunak, the inky-fingered clerk of empire, who once upon a time would have been doing the numbers for the empire in East Africa or a part of the empire, maybe far distant. This little runt, Sunak, He'll be gone soon. We all know who he represents, what his interests are. The problem is Starmer is the fox. Biden is the fox pretending to be on the side of the working people. Pretending of all the things they claimed that Donald Trump would have done Joe Biden has done them all and much more than Trump would have done, but smiling like a fox all the while. The situation this week in Gaza is simply catastrophic. The numbers of people still being slaughtered every day by rocket and shell is in the hundreds every week, massacred. I had a journalist in here five minutes ago. I can just imagine what he's going to write in the paper tomorrow, challenging me when I said that what's happening in Gaza is a holocaust with a small H. Really, you think it's a holocaust? You're comparing it to a holocaust? I'll tell you this. Israel has killed more children more quickly than even the beasts of fascism killed in the Holocaust. Do the maths. The rate of killing of children in this 135 days is worse than the Holocaust with a capital H. And it's the fact that none of our journalists, none of our politicians have even begun to contemplate that. That is the reason for the horror that they keep expressing at the hundreds of thousands, millions, out on the street, most of them not Muslims, most of them white British people, many of them Jews, on the streets of this country every night, every weekend, protesting this Holocaust, this massacre, this genocide of the innocence that is taking place in Gaza. Of course, I could say a lot, but it wouldn't be 
diplomatic of me to say it about the Arab countries and the pitiable, pitiful, pusillanimous, pathetic response of the Arab governments to this challenge to their own people, their own Arab nation, this challenge to their own co-religionists, the people who pray like them, fast like them, worship the same God as them, from the same book as them. They haven't lifted one finger to stop it. Haven't lifted one finger to come to the aid of the Palestinian people in their agony, on their Calvary, on the cross, in the Holy Land. But there are different circles of hell. The hottest must be reserved for the dictatorship of General Sisi in Egypt. It was not my intention to focus on him for a variety of geopolitical reasons. But when I saw him sending airplanes from his own territory into Gaza, which is a distance of 50 yards, and dropping aid on a parachute into the sea, and when I saw thousands of refugees wading out into the waves to try and recover it, I couldn't help but remember from my many times going through it, that there is a perfectly serviceable door, gate, that he could just have opened and allowed the thousands of trucks full of aid, full of food, to drive through the gate rather than wade into the Mediterranean in order to recover a tiny amount of the urgently needed aid for the lack of which people are dying. And dropping it in the south of Gaza doesn't help the people who are literally starving to death in the north of Gaza that are falling down in front of our eyes and dying of hunger whilst enough food to feed them all is on the road through that gate in Egyptian territory. People say to me, well, what can Sisi do? What can Egypt do? I put it a different way. What would Israel do if you opened the gates and started bringing food and medicine into the Gaza Strip? Would they attack you? That wouldn't be a good look and they didn't shoot down your plane with your parachute drop, did they? It's time to step up the response before the Palestinians begin dying in their hundreds of thousands of famine, pestilence, disease. There's no time to lose. There's no time for diplomatic nicety any longer. Let Russia, China, South Africa, Brazil, let them send ships now to the coast. What's Israel going to do? Practically friendless 
in the world as it now is sink a Chinese aid ship? I don't think so. But even if it did, it's time to step up our rejection of genocide. The International Court of Justice has already found Israel plausibly guilty of acts of genocide. That's what a Holocaust is, by the way, a genocide. A country on trial for genocide continues to enjoy the political, military, intelligence, diplomatic, and above all, propaganda support of a tiny number of Western countries that unfortunately most of you are living in. We've got Chris Hedges coming up next. You think I spoke powerfully. Wait till you hear him. Chris Hedges, stay tuned. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, to call Chris Hedges a political commentator is a bit like saying Ronaldo is a footballer. Chris Hedges is a supreme political commentator, journalist, writer, and host of the excellent Chris Hedges Report. And it's a privilege, as always, to welcome him onto the mother of all talk shows. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining us again. Um, I don't know if you heard my monologue, but I, I, I summarized the situation of the Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip, the pathetic nature of the Arab government response and the extent to which none of this would be happening if it were not for Joe Biden. How do you feel about those areas yourself? Well, the only uh, significant response to the genocide comes from Yemen. Uh, the rest of the Arab world is either silent at best or complicit. Uh, certainly Egypt is complicit. It's in the process of building uh, an alternative open-air prison for the Palestinians uh, as they are pushed out of the open-air open prison built by the Israelis in Gaza. Um, yeah, it's very, very cynical. 
uh, I don't think it plays very well on the Arab street. I was just in Doha and just in Egypt not too long ago. Uh, but yeah, a government like, especially the Egyptian government, is very hostile to Hamas. Of course, they uh, crushed uh, the Sisi government, crushed the Muslim Brotherhood. Hamas comes out of the Muslim Brotherhood, but it's it's very very cynical. I heard your in your monologue this uh, kind of uh, ridiculous uh, dog and pony show of dropping a few supplies into the sea. Of course, they could come through the gates of Rafah. They won't. Uh, yeah, it, and and Joe Biden, this genocide would not have gone on as long as it has and would not be sustained. But for Washington, uh, they have uh, sent uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of munitions because the Israelis uh, are are bombing. I remember I was in Sarajevo during the war. I, I think you were in Bosnia too, but I was in Sarajevo during the war. So that was uh, three to 400 shells a day. Uh, and that resulted in about four to five dead a day, about two dozen wounded a day. Well, compare that with Gaza. That's hundreds of dead and wounded a day. Uh, the, the bombing, and I don't pretend that Sarajevo was uh, easy. I, I still have nightmares about it, but it's nothing compared to Gaza. I mean, we haven't seen anything, a bombing campaign of this level. You'd have to go back to Vietnam or maybe to Stalingrad or something where 70, the Germans destroyed 70% of the uh, buildings in Stalingrad. I mean, that's the level the Israelis are reaching at. The plan is clear. It's open. It is to create a humanitarian crisis of such catastrophic proportions, infectious diseases, starvation, uh, not to mention, of course, now the last hospital is shut down. There's uh, no medical care, no infrastructure, no clean water. Uh, people are sleeping out in the open. The idea is to create a crisis uh, that is so extreme that the Palestinians, many at one point, what is it, 1.2 million, 1.4 million or something, now pushed up against the border of Egypt around Rafah, uh, have a choice between death and uh, and exile, uh, ethnic cleansing. And cutting off this, uh, UNRWA, money to UNRWA, uh, of course, is uh, almost unfathomable because, of course, it's aiding uh, the, the starvation that is part of being weaponized by Israel uh, in this genocide. In the United States, uh, the UK, all these governments are complicit. You know, the uh, building of an open-air prison will merely transfer the problem by a few hundred yards. Uh, all the uh, existing crises, multiple, will then exist on Egyptian soil. The resistance will be amongst the uh, refugees that are driven out. Certainly the children, surviving children of the resistance will grow up there to be a part of a new resistance. Nothing will be solved at all by driving the Palestinian population out of Gaza, merely transferred and only a few hundred yards. Yeah, and that's initially why Sisi didn't want you remember when Blinken first went to the Middle East, and Blinken is just a bag carrier for the Netanyahu government, he made a, a sweep through the Arab world and proposed that Arab governments take quotas, numbers. I think Egypt was 1.1 million Palestinians and, I don't know, 700,000 in Iraq or something. And of course, roundly rejected for all of the reasons you just cited. Uh, but the Egyptian government is very pliable because its economy is a disaster. It's, I think, and uh, $61 billion or something in debt, uh, and the United States is capable of buying it off. 
Uh, I don't know how else to explain the construction uh, that is now being put up uh, around Gaza. It's certainly not what they say it is for trucks. To, it doesn't make any sense. It's, uh, it's, it's completely out in the open. We're watching it. But you're right. It, it is, this is, uh, it, it, you've traumatized an entire generation. How do you think they're going to react? How would we react? Uh, and that will mean that there will be cross-border raids and Israel, if, if these uh, Gazans are trapped in the Sinai, then uh, th- this conflict will, it not only will it go on in perpetuity for another generation, but you're right. It will, of course, involve Egypt. So the whole thing is a complete catastrophic mess, and I really blame Washington. Washington has the ability to pull the plug on this today with, with a phone call. Uh, the Israelis cannot sustain this without U.S. support. Uh, but the people running our policies in the Middle East out of the Biden White House uh, essentially don't have a clue as to what they're doing. Jake Sullivan, uh, Brett McGurk, and Blinken, uh, who, who sees them, they all, they, they, Sullivan and, and McGurk have no real experience. Of, Bert McGurk was in Iraq and he was just a disaster. They're, they don't speak Arabic. They don't know the Arab world. They don't understand the history culturally linguistically illiterate. So everything is seen through the prism of Israel. And I think there's a pretty healthy dose of dose of racism and bigotry and Islamophobia that go along with it. Uh, so the, and there is a certain disquiet, by the way, among the Arabists, both in the State Department and in the intelligence services, because they realize that this is just being incredibly mishandled. And you have seen junior government uh, officials in a USAID headed by Samantha Power, uh, in the irony of that, of course, Miss Genocide, the, a problem from hell book, um, but uh, and in the State Department and in the executive branch, there have been pretty severe protests. And I think it's not just protests over uh, the genocide, but over what I would call gross, gross incompetence. Uh, on the mention of uh, power, Uh, She tweeted today that she had entered Israel across the Allen Bay Bridge in Jordan, uh, thus at a stroke, linguistically at least, wiping out the uh, fact that the West Bank is officially, legally, uh, Palestinian-occupied territory. She actually said, I've just stepped into Israel across the Allen Bay Bridge. Is this illiteracy or does it have a wider meaning, by which I mean this. After Gaza, is it the West Bank? I think that's certainly the intent. I mean, the intent of the Netanyahu government is clear and has been clear for some time. That is to ethnically cleanse, drive out the 2.2, 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza and turn on the West Bank. These are heirs of the radical, fascistic Rabbi Mayor Kahana, who I covered and knew in Jerusalem, uh, I don't think liberal Zionism, uh, you know, was just as brutal as to Palestinians. But the, this religious Zionism is kind of messianic, a cruder, uh, and more open about their intent, perhaps, than liberal Zionism. So yes, they they would like to quote unquote cleanse uh, Samantha Bauer. I knew her in Bosnia. She was a freelance reporter when I was the New York Times bureau chief there. Yeah, she knows exactly what she is doing. She's a consummate careerist. Uh, she is. Uh, and has been since the Obama administration. She caters to the Israel lobby because she knows to run afoul of the Israel lobby, and Israel is detrimental to her career. She wants to be Secretary of State, of course, one day. So, yeah, she knew 
precisely what she was saying, and uh, and she was pleasing her Israeli host. So, uh, yeah, these people have no moral core at all. Let's return then to Washington, or or more particularly to Michigan. Uh, what's your take on what happened in the primary last night, where 104,000 people voted uncommitted on a coronation ballot for Joe Biden? Well, that's a sign of how dangerous it is, because remember, they were only trying to get 10,000. So they got 10 times that number. Uh, Biden's in serious trouble uh, for many reasons, including Gaza. Uh, But what does Bibi Netanyahu care? He prefers Trump. He's quite willing to sacrifice Biden. He has no interest in propping up Biden. He doesn't even like Biden, really. So uh, uh, it's all good. It's it's all good for Bibi. Uh, But yeah, he's in serious trouble. Uh, The 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 base is, you know, the, the youth vote, the Arab American vote, which is significant in Michigan. Of course, I live in New Jersey, which has the second largest Arab American community in the country. Uh, they are not going to vote for Biden. Um, they, they are not going to do it. So and he it's such a slim margin uh, that he has to win because both sides are kind of essentially struggling over that uncommitted vote. Uh, so I think he's in real political trouble um, and I think that Michigan is an indication of that. What about Zion Don? Uh, what's he saying? Uh, we don't see over here uh, much of what he's saying on the subject, although we know his history and we know the history of his son-in-law in particular. Uh, is Trump, is there any daylight between Trump's view on what's happening in Gaza and Joe Biden's? No, I think for Palestinian it wouldn't make any difference. Remember, Biden, uh, after Trump moved the American embassy to Jerusalem in violation of international law, Biden didn't move it back. Uh, The Democratic leadership, Chuck Schumer, they all supported the move to Jerusalem. Uh, No, I I think that in terms of I think the Biden administration, especially with Blinken, has been utterly obsequious to uh, Netanyahu, not just uh, running cover for them at the United Nations by canceling ceasefire agreements, but by making sure they have a steady supply of munitions. Uh, I think they ship a lot of it, as does the UK, uh, to Cyprus, and then they fly it by transport helicopters. It was about a 40-minute flight or something into Tel Aviv. Um, they, because they, the Israelis, the, the, the level of munitions that they're going through on a daily basis is so staggering. They, uh, they, they need American stockpiles, and they get it. They get it from Trump, they get it from Biden, it won't make any difference. Finally, uh, Chris, a slight change of subject, though not entirely. Uh, It's two years on uh, in the NATO proxy war uh, against Russia. Uh, Any sign of the U.S. administration uh, beginning to prepare the public for inevitable defeat of their project? And what is Trump saying about that now? Well, the, the, the way they prepare for the defeat is the same way they prepared for the defeat in Afghanistan, which is they stop talking about it and the press stops covering it. Uh, you hardly know it's there. Uh, so, yes, they are preparing. Of course, everything uh, negotiated settlement they could have gotten before the war. They didn't. Uh, and I just want to say, by the way, the whole argument that uh, somehow uh, the West w- would not allow uh, the Ukrainian, the nationalist Ukrainian government to carry out uh, ethnic cleansing and campaigns of genocide in the Donbass is kind of exposed, by the way, with Gaza. We, you see precisely how we react. So uh, they're just a, a small caveat, but there's that 
lie that they were telling. Um, I mean, the U.S. achieved its goals. What were its goals? To isolate Putin from Europe and to degrade the Russian military. And, of course, they very cynically made the Ukrainians pay. Uh, the, the friend of mine covers was in Ukraine. He said they're all recruiting 40-year-old guys. They don't want to go. Uh, it, it's just been a complete disaster. It's destroyed huge swaths of the country. But the United States doesn't care. I covered proxy wars uh, for much of my career as a foreign correspondent. So, yes, they'll abandon the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians will uh, uh, essentially have to uh, engage in a land for peace settlement. That all could have been done before. Uh, and it wasn't. It wasn't in the U.S. interest to do it. But it wasn't in the Ukrainian interest to uh, believe that the American empire, the American government was ever really ultimately on their side. This was all about Russia and it was all about isolating Putin. Uh, and they've done that. They've, they've, that's their goal and they've achieved it. And uh, Trump, is he still promising to finish it all before he's even inaugurated? The Democratic Party in the United States is the war party now. Uh, so, yeah, was the, the, there is significant opposition. I mean, the American public is tired of it, too. I mean, the, the whole country is collapsing. The infrastructure is collapsing, uh, the, you know, despite the kind of glowing statistics about employment. Most people are living at a, you know, at a struggling to sustain their households. Uh, there's a deep, deep disquiet. Biden has not addressed these issues. Uh, that is, of course, fueling Trump. I mean, the polls, uh, they go back and forth, but oftentimes Trump is ahead. Uh, there's no enthusiasm for Biden at all. Uh, but yeah, they'll pull the plug. I mean, if the Democrats win, it may take a little longer, but but it's over. I mean, they're going to pull the plug eventually. Uh, where and when can people see the Chris Hedges report? ChrisHedges.substack.com. Uh, so it's put out by the real news, but everything comes up on the Substack. Fabulous. Chris, thanks for joining us. As always, been a pleasure. Let me take a quick break, and then I've got to look forward to the one and only Bryce Green and Richard Medhurst. It's going to be a great show tonight. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Let's go straight to Bryce Green. He's always worth hearing from. He's a political analyst and a contributor to fairness. He's an independent man, and that's the kind of man we like. Bryce, I was talking to Chris Hedges earlier about the meaning of the result last night in Michigan. Uh, before we turn to the Middle East per se, what about its impact on the American presidential race? How do you analyze that yourself? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, even before this Gaza genocide started and Joe Biden started being even more unpopular, it was a really open question as to how voters were going to respond to the Biden re-election campaign. Uh, there were rumors about whether or not the Democratic Party is going to replace him with someone who's more popular, more likable. Uh, because uh, even looking at the numbers before October 7th, you know, Trump was beating him head to head in many important states. And so the idea that uh, people are surprised that Joe Biden is now so much less popular because of this devastating policy in Gaza. I mean, it's just frankly ridiculous. Voters have been signaling that they're unsatisfied with the status quo, uh, both domestically and uh, on foreign policy. 
but the party establishment in the U.S. of the Democrats uh, really has a lot of disdain for the people that they consider to be their constituents. Um, even now, after this uh, stunning, stunning result in which the uh, uncommitted people uh, turned out uh, tens and tens of thousands of people in a key swing state, even after this, uh, you still have Democratic Party officials talking about how it doesn't matter and how these people have nowhere else to go and how uh, well they're going to have to uh, you know, vote, uh, suck it up and vote for Biden if they don't want a, a Trump term. Uh, and that's really the only thing that they've been able to offer. That's the only thing that Biden has been able to offer his entire presidency, uh, the idea that he's not Trump and that he's uh, holding back the floodgates of something far worse. But voters are starting to uh, get wise and understand that that's just pure rhetoric, that the Biden administration, like most of the Democratic Party, has very little to offer the general public in America, and even less to offer the people who care about human rights and peace and stability and justice around the world. This lesser of two evilisms approach, I've never bought it, actually, ever, uh, because I don't want evil to win at all. Uh, but it would be difficult to make the case that Joe Biden is the lesser of two evils in this case, wouldn't it? It is certainly difficult. Um, now, on the domestic front, I think it's very easy to point out that even though the Biden administration has been a disaster, uh, there are many policies, many agencies, regulations that have been significantly better than the Trump administration, um, and that you know, can't be ignored. Uh, but the real question for voters is, is whether or not these domestic wins uh, outweigh the foreign policy that the Biden administration has been uh, pretty uh, unrepentant about. Uh, the policy in Ukraine, for example, to push a country into war, to refuse to negotiate and to escalate the war, uh, causing a, an entire country to be destroyed, basically, uh, that's not very popular with voters. And this idea of supporting a genocidal, ethno-nationalist, fascist regime in Israel uh, who clearly don't care about human rights and is the overt support for the genocide, well, that's not very uh, popular with voters. And so uh, if a voter is wondering about the question of whether or not Joe Biden is a lesser or two evil, well, they have to wait. Uh, are those these domestic uh, concerns on which he's slightly better than Trump, do those outweigh the uh, the devastating foreign policy that's gotten tens of thousands of people to kill killed, uh, threatening to kill many more. And uh, he seems to have no breaks. Uh, he seems very committed to the policy that he's uh, that he's set on. And uh, there don't seem to be any adults in the room, either in Ukraine or on the issue of Palestine. And so uh, will the Trump administration be worse? Well, that's, uh, again, an open question. Domestically, like I said, there's no doubt that he'll be uh, far worse than the Biden administration is, however bad he currently is. Uh, but on the foreign policy, well, it's an open question. Uh, not to say that Trump is a peacemaker or a uh, friend to the Palestinians, but he's certainly unmoored by some of the ideologies that govern the bipartisan consensus on foreign policy. Uh, people might forget this, but uh, a few weeks before the October 7th uh, event, uh, uh, Israeli papers actually reported that Trump had actually explored the idea of uh, uh, using leverage uh, against Israel, using the, all, all the aid we have against Israel. Now he was clearly talked out about, uh, talked out, talked down from that position. Um, but the fact that uh, he's not as ideologically committed to some of the sorts of things that 
the neocons and the uh, you know the the bipartisan consensus are committed to, it might open new possibilities. Uh, now, this isn't to be taken as an endorsement of Trump, mind you. I still think he's a, a dangerous character. But right now, the person pulling the trigger on all these dead uh, Palestinian children is Joe Biden. The it's it's a paradox, isn't it? Uh, Chris was explaining. Chris Hedges was explaining that Netanyahu has nothing but contempt for Biden, uh, is hoping that Trump will defeat him, uh, and uh, considers or treats uh, um, Joe Biden as a kind of laughing stock, at least behind his back, and yet Biden seems to love him so much. Uh, what's the love affair between the Democratic Party and Israel all about? Well, it's hard to say how much of that love affair is genuine admiration, genuine belief in the in the idea that Israel is the quote-unquote only democracy in the Middle East, or how much of that is just genuine anti-Arab racism. Um, but a sizable chunk of the relationship between the Democratic Party and the uh, state of Israel and the lobby that represents the state of Israel domestically um, a sizable chunk of that relationship comes from the sheer volume of power that that lobby has. And it's not just the Democratic Party, of course. The Republican Party is uh, just as committed to the state of Israel as the Democrats are. Uh, congressmen from both parties alike have to fill out a form for APEC listing their positions on Israel. Uh, but the fact is that for most politicians, supporting Israel is the path of least resistance. You know, they don't care about all the human rights that they'll talk about. They don't care about whether or not people are being bombed in the Middle East. They don't care about whether or not children are getting their limbs uh, severed and scattered around the uh, uh, city block. They don't care about that. What they care about how, is how easy it will be for them to win re-election in the future. And once you have a lobby that's able to mobilize millions of dollars, that's able to mobilize phone calls and voters, uh, well, then it makes it a pretty easy choice for someone, again, who's amoral and doesn't care about right or wrong. If they want a re-election, well, then they have to appease the lobby. Simple as that. Uh, and, and I think that that is the largest single contributing factor to the ongoing support for uh, Israel and the genocide that uh, they are hell-bent on perpetrating. Now, Biden said, whilst licking an ice cream, uh, that there was going to be a ceasefire on Monday. Uh, well, that's only a few days away, and uh, the Palestinian resistance groups say they don't know what he's talking about. So does Qatar. Was it just idle chit-chat over a mint chocolate chip ice cream, or does Biden know something the rest of us don't? Well, Biden may know something the rest of us don't, but there's also an equal chance that Biden uh, simply made it up or doesn't know what he's talking about or maybe heard something incorrect. I think we've all seen enough of his mental state to understand that uh, some of the things he says may not be sanctioned by uh, his staff or by his advisors or anything else. They're just off the cuff. Uh, you know, he's got that old man syndrome going. Uh, but the interesting thing about the ceasefire discourse is that there's been a lot of propaganda going around. In fact, you just look at the uh, New York Times recently. They'll talk about how Hamas has rejected a ceasefire offer. And uh, that seems to be exactly what Israelis want uh, Americans to be talking about, how Hamas has rejected a ceasefire offer. But if someone were to actually read the terms of the ceasefire offer or read the record about what Hamas has been offering and what Israel has been offering over the last five months, well, then it seems pretty clear that 
the labeling Hamas as rejecting the ceasefire is just pure propaganda. What Hamas rejected was an Israeli proposal uh, that would temporarily pause the fighting uh, and uh, see the release of many hostages, but would guarantee that the fighting would continue and that Israel's assault on Gaza will continue. The very thing that Hamas has been uh, trying to avoid uh, since this entire conflagration began. On day two, on October 9th, uh, Hamas was talking about exchanging all the hostages in exchange for a ceasefire and a lifting of the illegal blockade around Gaza that has been going on for uh, almost uh, 20 years. Uh, but Israel rejected that. They've said explicitly over and over again that their goal has nothing to do with getting the hostages. It's about removing Hamas and removing any political leadership from the Palestinians so that they can uh, you know, accept their subjugation without raising their heads. That's what Israel wants. Netanyahu said uh, days ago that even if a hostage deal was reached in uh, with Hamas, the Israeli forces would still go in to Rafah, where millions of people are sheltering and uh, hospitals are being attacked. They're still undergoing bombs. But Netanyahu said that even if they give up the hostages, they're still going to bomb them. Well, what does that tell you? A, it tells you that they don't care about the negotiations. Because obviously saying that would decrease Hamas's likelihood of actually coming to the negotiation table. But it also means that they don't care about the hostages in general. Uh, if they're willing to torpedo negotiations in order to fulfill their genocidal ambitions, well, then the hostages are very clearly just a PR tactic for American audiences, a talking point for Western media figures to justify Israel's brutal attack. Uh, but as I keep pointing out to people, Israel has killed more hostages than they've rescued. Uh, they've killed uh, several by their own direct fire. Israelis who were shouting at Hebrew uh, or shouting at uh, soldiers in Hebrew, Israel killed them anyway. Um, there have been uh, reports, uh, unconfirmed some of them, uh, about Israel's targeting of uh, the, the tunnels um, where these hostages lie. Uh, according to um, Palestinian sources, they, Israel's already killed several of the hostages underground. And uh, it seems pretty clear that uh, many of the hostages were uh, who were about to be taken to Gaza after October 7th were just mowed down by Israeli Apache helicopters. And so unless you haven't read all of this, or unless you're actively and willfully ignoring it, this idea of uh, Israel waging a war uh, to get the hostages is complete bunk. It's complete nonsense. They're waging a war of extermination, uh, trying to rid the Palestinians of political leadership, trying to ethnically cleanse the Palestinians off their land uh, and uh, implement a regime of uh, ethno supremacy from the river to the sea. That seems to be very clearly their goal. And they've written about it. We've even seen leaks from the uh, Israeli intelligence ministry that said explicitly that the best option for everybody is to simply expel the Palestinians. And it's interesting because they said that this is the preferable option because it means that they'll have to kill fewer Palestinians. In other words, as far back as November, Israel, their plan was to kill as many Palestinians as possible in order to get them to leave so that they don't have to kill the rest of them. And that is why you won't see any serious talks about a permanent ceasefire from the Israelis. And that is why you're seeing headlines in the New York Times and other places about Hamas rejecting a ceasefire. You have to disinform the public if this, uh, this charade is to continue. And that's what Israel's been doing. It's going to be a hot potato, though, Bryce. 
Uh, Ramadan is just around the corner. Uh, Gallant, the uh, defense chief, has said uh, that the invasion of Rafah, a small town, by the way, but now with 1.9 million refugees in it, in tents or living on the street, if a full-scale Israeli invasion of Rafah takes place during Ramadan, have the Americans any idea of the tumult that that will create and cause all over the Muslim world? I think they do know. I think that uh, many of them simply don't care. And the ones who do are powerless to do anything within the Biden administration. Uh, again, the the true cost of uh, the Israeli assault on Gaza is unknown, but the numbers that we have uh, paint a pretty clear picture. And, you know, Biden administration officials have access to the same internet, the same newspapers, the same YouTube that we all do. They know what's going on and they know what other countries around the world are thinking about it. In fact, probably more than me or you, but they're still willing to continue this insane policy, which tells me that uh, either that there are forces within the United States government who don't care about doing actual diplomacy, even if it is to maintain the evil empire, even if it is to maintain their influence around the world. It seems that this devotion to Zionism and this devotion to uh, Israeli ethno-nationalist project has trumped even those concerns. And so that even if it means that every country in the world will uh, view the U.S. as a uh, undeniably rogue state, a terrorist state, and uh, irredeemable uh, uh, pariah, they don't seem to care. They seem to be embracing it, in fact. You'll see all these headlines about how the world is standing with Israel, how the world is behind Ukraine, how the world believes in freedom and democracy. But what they mean by the world, of course, is uh, some European countries, uh, Australia, Japan, and the United States. If you look at the actual world and what the actual world thinks, uh, one need only go to the United Nations to see what the world thinks. And the world has been trying to stop this war, uh, not only since October 7th, but uh, since 1948, the world has been trying to stop this war. And uh, if you look at the UN resolutions uh, trying to uh, promote a just solution to the refugee crisis, trying to promote a Palestinian state, trying to promote uh, what's essentially the international consensus on Palestine, uh, every year there are a few outliers and they're led, of course, by the United States and Israel. So that's the world. It's really the world versus these Western powers. And I think uh, the American leaders, they understand that, and they don't seem to be doing anything to change that. They seem to be openly embracing it for better or worse. And one of the issues that isn't discussed much is just how much this policy, this insane, maniacal policy, could lead to nuclear war. Uh, not only is Russia a nuclear power and the U.S. is, uh, you know, uh, provoking Russia, they provoke them into war and they continue to escalate in Ukraine, though that seems to be uh, in question these days. Uh, but they're provoking a nuclear power. And Israel, of course, has uh, nuclear weapons, even if the State Department chooses to bury its head in the sand and snicker at people when they ask questions about the Israel nuclear problem. Uh, they know that Israel has nuclear weapons. And they know that Israel is one of the single most rogue states to ever exist, other than the United States. And so creating a dangerous situation in that region, not only could it inflame the uh, other countries, but it could also cause Israel to panic if something were to go uh, outside of their plans, if something were to 
uh, to the minds of the Israeli officials and intelligence and military, uh, in their minds, threaten the state of Israel, well, then nuclear weapons could be used. And it's very difficult to predict how that could end. Uh, but it should be the goal of any sane statespeople to avoid a situation like that from even arriving. But the Biden administration, the Blinken-led uh, State Department, all of them, they seem to be just uh, fully on board with endless escalation, just the same in Ukraine, and it seems to be the same here in uh, the Middle East. Bryce Green, brilliant as ever. Thanks for joining us on The Mother of Old Thoughts. Thanks for having me on. Quite brilliant. Tour de horizon. Uh, Look, a quick break now, and then it is the one and only Richie Medhurst coming up next. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Blimey, Richard Medhurst is young to be called renowned, but that's what it says here on my screen. And that is, in fact, the truth. Richard Medhurst is an internet sensation, young but wise and brilliant and eloquent. And we're about to hear and see exactly that with Richard Medhurst, the independent journalist and political analyst. Let's start in the Middle East itself, though. I want to talk to you, Richard, about the Assange uh, case also. Uh, But uh, as you are from the Middle East, as you are deeply involved in following and analyzing what's happening, do you share my view that the sight of Egypt flying a plane across its own border with another territory and dropping aid into the sea that it could easily have driven through its own gate marks something of a new law in the conduct of Arab dictatorships? Hi, George. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is certainly um, a new law. And, uh, you know, it's not just Egypt, it's Jordan as well that were dropping these aid packages um, and dropping them into the sea. As a matter of fact, half of them anyway. Uh, you know, we, we already know that Palestinians are, are under siege. So, you know, it, it, it's one thing to make a mistake and, and mistakes happen all the time in logistics and to drop it in the sea. But, you know, you can't go out and just get it uh, uh, with Israeli gunships uh, pointed at the um, at the coast. And, and uh, you know, we all know, of course, the, the famous story of the boys who are playing football on the beach and got killed for no reason by the Israelis. So, you know, this is just one of many reasons why, um, you know, these pathetic uh, performances are, are, are not just uh, insufficient, but life threatening. Um, in and of themselves. And we know that Palestinians, they need 500 trucks of at least at least 500 trucks. And again, this is this is under siege before October 7th, uh, coming into Gaza every day. And, um, you know, it's a very it's a very bad uh, predicament that that these Arab states have found themselves in when it comes to Jordan and Egypt, because the majority of the people there, they they don't like uh, their governments and their government's foreign policy um, because they're they're completely intertwined with the West. You know, I, I should also remind people that um, uh, the King of Jordan is a, is a colonel in the British Army. Now, being a colonel in the British Army is not necessarily the hallmark of uh, of evil by any means, but uh, he, he is, you know, he and his government are, are completely uh, intertwined with the security state in Britain 
Um, and you can just see from their foreign policy that they do everything that Britain and America demand of them, which is to make sure that Jordanians cannot go um, and help people in Gaza or in the West Bank. Uh, and Egypt is the same thing. Um, you know, the people there, they want to help uh, Palestinians, but the governments forbid them from doing so. And Netanyahu, uh, there's no way that these planes flew and dropped these aid packages, if we can call them that, um, without Netanyahu approving that in, in the first place. It's, it's just a, a, a very uh, pathetic and sad performance and doesn't even come close to nourishing and helping Palestinians for one day, never mind uh, during an extended period of war and siege. Yeah, um, how do they explain to their own people why they don't... I mean, Jordan at least doesn't have a border with the Gaza Strip, but Egypt does. It has sovereign control uh, of the gate. Uh, how do they explain to their people why they don't just open the gate and drive the aid in? Beats me, George. You know, they, they come up with all sorts of excuses. Um, we have to remember that, that there are two things involved when we talk about this, this gate uh, in the Rafah crossing, because th there's a difference between opening it for Palestinians to come into Egypt, um, because, and, and of course, opening it for aid to go from Egypt into Gaza. And I'll explain the difference. The, the, the former is that were Palestinians to, to uh, give the possibility, afforded the, the, the uh, possibility of just leaving Gaza and going into Egypt, many would, of course, because it's a natural human response. It's, it's a human instinct to simply want to survive. And, you know, how could we, how could we possibly blame them? Uh, but the, the reasoning behind this is that if they were to leave, and many of them refuse, Palestinians know because most of the people in Gaza already lost their homes once to Israel. Were they to leave in, into uh, uh, Egypt, they would lose their homes forever. They're, they're never going to see their land again um, or what's left of it after the, Israel's uh, slaughter and, and, and campaign of genocide. Now, on the other hand, how can you justify not sending aid into Gaza from Egypt? There's, there's no risk of, of land being lost or, or things like that. There, there simply is no excuse. Um, and even just to send in aid is, is, you know, it doesn't even come close to scratching the surface. Um, you know, what I, what I, what I ask uh, myself and, and, uh, um, and, and other people is that how is it that Iran, which is not even an Arab country, is doing so much to help the resistance? And, and Egypt, which, which is an Arab country, which is a Muslim country, which is literally on the border with the Palestinians, do nothing. I mean, it's, it's, it's truly incorrigible. Um, and... Uh, you know, I think it's high time that these uh, these governments that that have betrayed the Arab people, that have betrayed the Palestinian people, um, uh, you know, I, I, they have to shape up or ship out. Simply put, they have to shape up or ship out. This is really a big curse, a big problem in the Arab world. Is that half the half the states were created by Britain and France, and they're being run by people appointed by Britain and France and America to serve Western interests. They don't serve Arab interests. So whatever possible excuses that they like to give. Um, uh, you know, domestically, if they even do, they rarely even address these things. Uh, you know, they're, they're simply pathetic. They, they don't even, I, I mean, I, they're, they're truly insulting, not just to the Palestinians, but to themselves as well, uh, when these leaders uh, uh, try and justify what's going on. I mean, it, it, how can you, after four months of this slaughter, 75 years of this slaughter, uh, barely send in a bunch of boxes uh, we, you know, they don't even come close to, to meeting Palestinians' needs. I would be ashamed of myself were, were I in their shoes. I mean, uh, uh, Joe Biden said uh, that there's going to be a ceasefire on Monday. Uh, do you believe him? Yeah. No, I don't believe him. And, and uh, the fact he's announcing it over ice cream, I mean, 
Uh, honestly, I don't care if he's announcing it in the, you know, in the White House. It, it doesn't really make much of a difference, but it just shows you how, you know, what a casual air uh, he's uh, he's taken about himself and, and this topic as if he's talking about, you know, going to a ranch uh, to hang out with George Bush or something. He's committing genocide. This guy's a war criminal. So, you know, they can they can stick as many ice creams as they want in front of his face uh, and to try and make him look like a, you know, uh, a friendly grandfather. He's a war criminal. He, he has more blood on his hands uh, than we can even fathom. Um, and Joe Biden himself to this day proudly declares himself uh, a, a, a Zionist. He, he, he says this, you know, uh, he, he, he knows what's going on in Gaza. He is, he is uh, you know, lucid enough to understand this, that we cannot absolve him of responsibility for that. Um, and uh, he has been helping Israel for decades. He has spent decades in Washington doing precisely that. Uh, so, you know, this, this thing about a ceasefire, I don't believe him because the Israelis know, we, we know that the Israelis want to continue prosecuting this war uh, for various reasons. Netanyahu, for example, uh, knows that the second the war is over, he has to, to ship out. Uh, the Israelis are going to get rid of him. And he, he's lucky he even got back into power a second time. That was, you know, coming back from the dead like that was already a miracle once. Um, he's certainly not going to survive this. They will put all the blame on him, uh, at least domestically, uh, and get rid of him the second the war's over. So he has an interest, a self-interest in continuing the war. Um, not to mention that uh, uh, when, when you look at um, the, the Israelis, the only thing that gets them rallied behind the, the, the prime minister is a good war. So they, they, they're also not too uh, uh, chuffed about it. And we know from polling that Israelis are actually in favor of this war. So it's not like they, they have any interest in stopping soon. And we should always remember that even if there's a quote unquote ceasefire, Gaza would still be under siege. How can you call that a ceasefire? A siege is, is, is death by another name. It's starvation it's act, by yeah, another name. An act of war, yeah. Right. Now, Absolutely. Richard, I saw that you were speaking in the Strand. Uh, you were speaking outside the hearing in London for Julian Assange. Uh, you were reporting on it uh, wonderfully well. Uh, what's your, as we now sit in this hiatus, Thank you. awaiting the result of the appeal hearing, what's your current feeling, optimistic or not? Uh, no, I'm not optimistic, uh, uh, George, because uh, th this entire case shouldn't be happening. I mean, it's it's really a travesty for for so so many reasons. Uh, I, I I could really sit here for hours and 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 explain uh, how scandalous this case is from top to bottom. Whatever way you look at this, uh, Julian Assange's rights are being violated. Uh, the Americans want to punish him with U.S. law and then at the same time deny him the fr First Amendment rights, which is really funny. Um, and uh, if you look at the uh, Council of Europe, the European Convention on Human Rights, which is the Human Rights Act um, in Britain, uh, you know, his rights are also being violated there. If, if you look at habeas corpus, I mean, this is a cornerstone of, of British law. His rights are being violated the second they threw him into Belmarsh prison. Um, you know, it, it, there, there's so much wrong with this case. The judges, they were a bit more um, engaging uh, and and they seemed at least to be more interested than, than in previous times, because in previous hearings, what the judges would do is they would basically say nothing at all, or they would just make it, um, uh, you know, they would make their contempt, contempt for Julian Assange known um, and quite clear to him and the rest of the court. Uh, but this time they seemed to be interested and asked the right questions. They asked, for example, uh, um, the names in these publications that the, the Americans claim harmed their informants. 
uh, are these the same people that committed all these war crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan and so on? Um, and the simple answer to that is, is yes, not every single one of them, but obviously the, the, these people are all working for the U.S. Um, in one way or another, upholding uh, that regime uh, and uh, the war on terror prosecuted by the Bush regime and then subsequent administrations. So, yes, they are involved in this system of torture, uh, uh, war crimes uh, and uh, renditions that were inflicted by the Americans on the rest of the planet. Um, the, the judges also asked, for example, um, whether Julian Assange uh, would get the death penalty and if the, the Americans can guarantee he won't get the death penalty. And I was uh, quite <laughs> quite shocked to see the uh, U.S. lawyers uh, not even pretend uh, to hide anything and, and say, no, they can't really guarantee he won't get the death penalty. And I, I should remind people in Britain, it is illegal, it is a crime to extradite someone to a country where you know they will get the death penalty. This is completely forbidden. So the fact that we're, you know, I'm witnessing this in front of my eyes uh, is really scandalous. And, and I should remind people that, uh, you know, whether you care about Julian Assange or not, and you should care, this case is is the United States, you know, putting, basically grabbing the gavel of the judges and running the courtroom. You know, these courtrooms, these hearings are not being run by a British judiciary. They're being run by the CIA, by the United States. So if you care about UK sovereignty and you should care about UK sovereignty, we all should. We cannot accept that a foreign country, that's what the United States are. I know we have a special relationship with them, but they're still a foreign country, that they have so much power over our judiciary, especially one that, that, that you know, uh, calls itself committed to open justice, and uh, and it says it's democratic. So we should absolutely care about these things. Uh, you know, the fact that they also were violating the Vienna Convention by threatening to go into the embassy back when he was in the Ecuadorian embassy, spying on him, spying on his conversations with his lawyers. I mean, any judge in the world would have thrown this case out from day one. It's a travesty right, that it's, yeah. it's been allowed to go on for so long. On the other hand, Richard, I think Joe Biden needs the sight of a journalist in chains arriving at, uh, at uh, Kennedy Airport in New York uh, like he needs a hole in the head. If anything, uh, his problems are mounting so considerably, I'm not sure that he wants this to happen before November. And so uh, the November uh, deadline it can be averted by, by allowing Julian uh, the right to appeal. Uh, in other words, an apparent victory, but only because Biden doesn't want to face this right mm -hmm. now. And then, of course, if the election goes the wrong way for Biden, well, Trump, whose Secretary of State, when head of the CIA, was actually planning to murder Julian, Trump will be faced with the dilemma of whether or not to pardon Julian and bring this thing to an end. So whichever way you dice it, I have a feeling Julian's going to win, in the short term at least, a stay of execution, if I can call it that. I mean, we should remember that the, the Trump administration, it's not just Mike Pompeo, it's also Trump himself. Uh, that that have uh, prosecuted this this uh, uh, case against Julian Assange, and that's one of the the arguments that Julian's lawyers made in court. They said that this is not just the uh, U.S. prosecutors doing their jobs; 
Uh, as a matter of fact, they're not arguing that, that the U.S. prosecutors are, are doing their jobs in bad faith. They're saying that this is coming from the top, from the executive, that the uh, Trump administration, both Pompeo and Trump, who've called for Julian Assange's death uh, in various ways. I think Trump said that Julian should be given the death penalty. He said that in 2010. Um, and then, of course, he... Um, the the attorney general that he pointed uh, appointed and then Mike Pompeo his his uh, CIA director um, you know they they began this campaign so you know it wasn't just about this shootout in London that they had in mind it's it's also about the legal uh, 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 method of, of of murder that they have chosen to employ because uh, we should remember that that having Julian jump back and forth between courts is killing the man I mean the last time that I saw him uh, which is about a year or two years ago he looked really unwell. Um, and it, it's it's quite heartbreaking, you know, for 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 someone who um, who has spent the last ten years in arbitrary detention. I mean, before Belmar, she was in the embassy. He couldn't even go to the dentist, for example, when he wanted to. So, um, you know, he, he his physical and mental health have really dwindled. Uh, the Biden administration, Biden had four years to drop the case um, and didn't, and he chose to continue not just the persecution of Julian Assange, but all of Trump's Middle East policies, uh, attacking Yemen keeping sanctions on Syria, uh, keeping Lebanon in complete instability and, how, you know, basically strangling them with the IMF. Uh, of course, the sanctions against Iran. And then he, he even used Trump's sanctions against Iran to shut down uh, uh, foreign press outlets. So, you know, they, they are so similar in, in, in many ways. They're indistinguishable, as a matter of fact. Uh, that I'm afraid to say that, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're right. He might be given, Julian Assange might get a small uh, victory, he might be afforded that in the short term, but afterwards um, they they will continue this case because uh, you know unfortunately we don't have um, leaders who are willing to stand up to them bit by bit. It's, it's getting better. If you look at the Australian Parliament, for example, uh, Julian Assange has so much more support today than he did two years ago, for example, uh, and he's gaining more and more support internationally. But the leaders we have in Britain. Uh, and the American leaders, they, they don't have the courage to stand up to, uh, uh, you know, the the um, the deep state, the CIA. And as a matter of fact, they play along with them. So they are complicit. And I would just remind people that the, the people bombing Gaza right now are the same ones that put Julian Assange in prison. They're the same banks, the same politicians, the same corporations. Palestinian journalists, 130 of them have been killed for exposing Israeli crimes. Julian Assange has been killed for exposing US war crimes. So we have to remember that there is a link between the two. Um, there is a war on journalism, there's a war on civilians, um, and it's the same actors that are, that are, that are prosecuting these wars and continuing them uh, with impunity. We have to remember that and we have to demand not just uh, uh, that we free Assange, but that we free Palestine and that these two things are uh, intertwined and connected. Brilliant. Richard Medhurst, thanks for joining us, as always, on the mother of Thank you, all talk shows. Last call, I think. Go ahead. Good evening, George. I'll speak extremely slowly for the non-Scottish people, and I'll explain <laughs> Vodafone is a company in Europe, right? a mobile phone company. My network was down by broadband. I got connected to Egypt. I asked the person, a gentleman, which country are you from with your accent? He explained Egypt. And I asked him why the Egyptian people are not marching like the people in Scotland. 
right? And the people, and I went out, literally, he was in tears. But not, and he said about the conversation that we were having, he would be put in prison. I said, I'm only explaining to you 5.5 million people in Scotland, right? 76,000 are Muslim, which is 1.4%. Every match that I have been to, over 90% look like me, white. I couldn't tell you what the religion is, but they look like me, white. And when I told them about Ireland, Ireland and the ICG, right, he was so humbled, right, and he said that he would be arrested if he went out and marched for Palestine. I asked him, why can't you just go in to where the border is and give the Palestinian people aid? We ended up speaking for 90 minutes. He was so, so humbled, right, that people in Scotland, right, and when the London people tell me we all, with all due respect, we have two or three times population, and I said what Rab C. Nesbitt said, Glasgow's greatest scumbag, right? It's not about quantity, it's about quality. So when they, are, they blame the, Isla, the Islamists on being or te- terrifying, it's terrifying to the English people. What about in Scotland? Right. There's no Islamophobic and all that nonsense. If people from that want to march oh, I don't know. Israel, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that, uh, Caroline, but that was a wonderful anecdote. I only hope it wasn't you that paid for the 90-minute telephone call to Egypt and Vodafone. What a beautiful call. Carol is the last caller. She's from Swindon, and we need to hear her. Carl, welcome. Sorry to keep you waiting. No problem. Hiya, George. I just thought I'd let you know that Hi. I was born in Rochdale three years after you was born in Scotland. And I found you a song wow. for tomorrow night, and it's called Vigilante, and the band's called Magnum. And I just wanted to read you quickly the chorus because I thought it was wonderful. Okay. And it's called, it says, yeah, go, go call the vigilante. He'll turn this place upside down. Go call the vigilante. He don't get kicked around. Hold on, there's a new way of coming. Looks like it's arriving tonight. There's no more hiding or running. There's no more walking on ice. Because you are the vigilante, Oof. George. And I want to be proud oh, so from being amazing. at Rochdale. I come there. That's my town. I was born there. I've been away a while, so I'm not quite as strong an accent, but it's there. It's wang. But go get them, George. I could tell Rochdale your needs. accent. And I can tell, God bless you, Carol. That was from the heart. The people in Rochdale speak from the heart. Uh, I have no intention of leaving this town. Win or lose, I'm here. I'll be here for the local elections in May. I'll be here for the general election. Who knows, I might even be here for the general election after that, if my wife and children will allow me. But a contract is what I'm looking for. Look at at me like 
I don't know, Ronaldo, coming to the end of his career, but ready to sign a five-year contract for Rochdale. It's been marvellous. Uh, truly mean that. Uh, right up to the last beautiful call uh, from Carl in Swindon. Uh, but every call, every guest has been outstandingly good. I've run over by six minutes. I'll pay the penalty for that, but it's been marvellous. I hope to see you in a new hat on Sunday with the mother of all talk shows at 7pm. If you pray, pray for me.